we welcome you to worship this first Sunday after Pentecost. It is still a season of the Spirit and trusting that the Spirit is working in us, through us, and connecting us across distance. We are still living with the invitation of the Spirit to breathe fire into us, to make us useful, and to listen to and lift up the experiences and voices of Black people in this country and to make us open and aware of those. And we're still in the newness of the early followers of Jesus as they sort out what it means to have a faith, have faith in a leader that they can't see or hear for themselves. And two, we're still confident that Jesus calls us to look not toward political figureheads, but to the political outsiders and to the justice seekers and to follow Jesus into action. I invite you to call to worship um, that Megan shared with us last week. I'm going to, I'm going to, to share it with all of you so that you can join in the bold print, although I will read through the whole thing. Come, Holy Spirit, lamplighter, midwife of change, comforter, disturber, inspirer, and advocate. Come, fill our lives with the gifts earth can neither produce nor afford. Come, fill our lives with that rich mixture of peace and restlessness, calm and enthusiasm, which are hallmarks of holiness. Come, promised Spirit of God, find your way and make a home among us. Amen. Our gathering music will be led by Michael uh, completely appropriately, I think. How can we be silent? We're going to sing verses 1, 3, and 5. silent when we know our God is near bringing light to those in darkness to the worthless endless world to the worthless endless world how can we be silent when we are the voice of Christ speaking justice to the nations breathing love to all the earth None can stop the Spirit burning now inside us. We will be the future. We will not be silenced. How can we be silent as we turn our eyes away? and ignore the poor and broken who lie bleeding in the street how can we be silent when we're called to heal and serve in the image of lord jesus who has stooped to wash our feet none can stop the spirit burning now inside us we will shape the future, we will not be silent. 
can we be silent when our souls are filled with awe at the beauty of creation and the mercy of our Lord? How can we be silent when we yearn to sing new songs? In our heart a fire is burning and it will not be ignored. None can stop the Spirit burning down inside us. We will shape the future. We will not be silent. May it indeed be so that we not be silent. We light our peace lamp, peace candle each week to remember that we both witness to and participate in God's vision for a just peace for all of creation and all of humanity. Today, I remember Brianna Taylor, whom I'm sure many of you memorialized this week also because it would have been her 27th birthday. And she, along with so many other Black folks, um, her life was taken from her unjustly, appallingly unjustly. Uh, and in her memory, we call for uh, a just peace, which might look like defunding police, justice for the officers who were involved in her shooting, um, abolition of police. I'm, I'm still learning about what that looks like for myself. But we pray in her memory. We long for a just peace. We pray for a just peace. And we choose to work for a just peace for her and for all of creation. Um, for our children's time today, I'm going to read a book um, called Not My Idea. Uh, this book is particularly for the white folks in our congregation. Um, and in part, I, I would say it's both for children and for parents so that you can have some conversations afterwards. Um, it's not a book that will make you feel very good if you are a white person. But, in fact, it will make you feel a little uncomfortable. Ori and I read it last night, and we didn't really want to keep reading it at one point. But we did keep reading it and um, talked about it a little, and we're going to keep returning to those conversations. Um, for those of us who live with white skin, um, we have different work to do than folks who are not white. So I'm going to read this, um, and kids, teens, and parents, uh, you have an opportunity then to talk about it after worship. When grown-ups try to hide scary things from kids, you can see in the picture there's a mom who's looking at something on the screen. She's looking at a gun on the screen and she's saying, oh no, not again. 
And there's a kid saying, what? Mom, what? Not again. When grown-ups try to hide scary things from kids, it's usually because they're scared too. You hear the girl asking, who's that with their hands up? Why is that policeman screaming at him? Bang, 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 bang. They might want to bury the truth. And the mom is saying to the kid, you don't, you don't need to worry about this. You're safe. You understand? And we see her thinking, no, she doesn't understand. The mom says, our family is kind to everyone. We don't see color. Deep down, we all know color matters. You can see that what she's drawing is what she saw on TV. Hands that are raised and a gun. Skin color makes a difference in how the world sees you and in how you see the world. And now you can see that the girl and her mom are going on a little shopping trip. The mom says, I want to bring a gift to my aunt. This will only take a minute. And together they're in the store. It makes a difference, your skin color makes a difference in how much trouble seems to find you or let you be. And in the middle, you can see there's a security guard there in the store. You can see the difference. So the first, let's see, this girl is starting to touch the, the pottery, the bowls. And here you can see that the security guard is looking over this way at a child. I, I think about that sometimes when I go into stores my children are being rowdy when they're touching things and I think about how I don't have to worry about that too much because my kids are right kids. In stores, in cars, on sidewalks, at school, your skin color affects the most ordinary daily experiences. Here's a car you can see. If you look closely, you can see there are police, police cars here including which neighborhoods welcome you. So there are some neighborhoods in this city even, which for a long time, there were actually rules about whether black people could live in them or not. And those rules aren't there anymore, but they still affect who's allowed or who can live in which neighborhoods or who people expect to live in which neighborhoods. The aunt is saying, we're so relieved you got here safely. And the mom says, why wouldn't we? The aunt replies, the protests. Uncle sitting here in his chair saying, they're blocking the road. And here, we can, we can see what's coming from the TV. There's, there's things, the, the TV we're hearing, marchers came to demand justice for an unarmed African-American. That means somebody who doesn't have any weapons. They demand an end to killings across the nation. Part of a shameful pattern that has claimed lives, particularly of young men of color. Marchers reference past victims and a video taken by a bystander. That sounds very much like what we're hearing in the news right now. You may get the message that racism is happening only to black and brown people. 
racism is a white person's problem and we are all caught up in it. You can see the aunt saying, oh, I can't even watch the news. And the mom saying, that police officer was just doing his job. Mostly we're refusing to look at it. The mom says, come away from the TV now. Look, I made your favorite. But kids, you can face this. Racial justice, we must step up. Justice is when um, we all get what we, what we deserve, which in God's eyes is everything good and right and peaceful and love. Understand that the truth takes courage, especially a painful truth about your own people and your own family. Mom asks the kid, are you all right? Even people you love may behave in ways that show that they think they are the good ones. And here, here we notice that they're seeing people who are brown and black walking past the car and the mom's, the mom's fingers are going to the lock button in the car. Racism was not your idea. You don't need to defend it. You can bring your curiosity to learn about it and see what's true. Mom's saying, I'll be over here if you need me. And while she does that, the girl looks for a book. It says, our shared history. In the United States of America, white people have committed outrageous crimes against black people for 400 years. All along the way, every step of the way, people who love justice and love each other have been fighting back. Many white people did things they never should have done. And still, that's true. Like, denied opportunity. This is of people who wanted money because they were Black, couldn't get a loan from a bank. Or they were denied housing, meant they, they were kicked out unfairly of their housing or not allowed to rent places. They were denied voting rights. And this says, you have to take a test to be a voter. And there's all these different kinds of parts and making it very complicated. Many other white people failed to see the problem with this. These choices put wealth, that means money and power into white hands and homes and neighborhoods. But some white people joined the leaders of black liberation. That means liberation means love and freedom. And here we've got some examples of white folks who joined with black, black folks to work for justice and liberation. Even so some, some people from more than a hundred years ago, right up till just a few years ago, people have been working for justice all the way along and we can be a part of that. Racism is still happening. It keeps changing and it keeps being the same. And that is what this girl is learning. And yet, just being here alive at this moment, you have a chance. We all have a chance to care about this and to connect. But connecting means opening and opening sometimes feels like breaking. So that doesn't mean that it's hard and sometimes it doesn't mean it's easy and sometimes it even feels really hard. 
this girl says, mom, I don't feel good. And the mom says, uh-oh, should I pull over? I need to know what's going on. The mom asks, what are you talking about? Why didn't anyone teach me real history? I do see color. I see yours, I see mine, and everybody's. You can't hide what's right in front of me. I know that what that police officer did was wrong. Okay, geez, you don't have to yell. Go with your instincts on this one. Racial, racial justice is possible, but only if we're honest with each other and with ourselves. I see a playground over there, the mom says. You want to get some air? Yes. Your history is not all written yet. What do you want it to say? So maybe that is the beginning of a conversation that we can all have, kids and grown-ups together, about what our next steps are going to be and what we want to say and how do we want to say it. I hope so. And Rita is going to be our scripture reader this morning. And I haven't yet seen her, so I hope that she's there. I'm here. We are ready, Rita. We can see you. Um, Reading from 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 10. For we know that when our earthly tent is folded up, there is waiting for us a house built by God, an everlasting home in the heavens, not made by human hands. And while in this tent we lament, longing to be clothed with our heavenly home, because when we are dressed, we will find it a burden because we don't want to be naked, but to be clothed so that what is mortal is swallowed up by life. God made us for this very purpose and gave us the pledge of the spirit to safeguard our future. And so we are always full of confidence even though we realize that to live in the body means to be absent from Jesus Christ. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are full of confidence. I repeat, and would actually prefer to be absent from the body and make our home with Christ. Whether we are living in the body or absent from it, we are intent on pleasing Christ, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each of us will get what we deserve for the things we do while in the body, good or bad. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God within us, and for the word of God among us, 
Thanks be to God. Join us as we sing, We Walk by Faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. No gracious words we hear. Of him who spoke as honor spoke, but we believe him here. We may not touch his hands and side, nor follow where he trod. Yet in his promise we rejoice and cry, my Lord and God. Help then, O Lord, our unbelief, and may our faith abound to call on you when you are near and seek where you are found. That when our faith of faith is done in realms of clearer light, we may behold you as you are in full and endless sight. We walk by faith and not by sight, no gracious words we hear. Of him who spoke as man has spoke, but we believe in here. Thank you, Newfelds. How lovely to hear the harmonies. Uh, it's really wonderful to be able to sing with you. Folks, our text from 2 Corinthians, um, Paul uses this imagery at the beginning of tenting, tenting with. Um, and when pastors read this a couple of weeks ago together, Jonathan wondered aloud if this was a callback to the Hebrew people um, who wandered through the wilderness, taking the tabernacle with them, taking a tent with them, that their church was a tent that traveled with them, a people on the move with their God, tenting together. God with them. And that's about all I'm going to say about the scripture today. It's my launching pad, but um, we've been invited to not do business as usual in this moment. Um, and I think there's really powerful imagery here about tenting with and so um, today for this sermon, this homily, this reflection, um, we're going to tent with some black Anabaptist kindred. We're going to tent with these kindred of ours and with Jesus, Jesus who is God with us, God present with us, and um, present with us and all of us as we are on the move together in this movement. I'm going to begin with Oshita Moore, a self-described Anabaptisty. So she made it an adjective. She's an Anabaptisty, author, 
educator, peacemaker, self-proclaimed peacemaker, a black woman whose voice I amplify, whose dear white peacemakers, she, she talks a lot to dear white peacemakers, whose dear white peacemakers message I heed, um, not just for my social media posts, but hopefully for all of my speaking, including this sermon. So we're going to hear from her. Hey, everyone. Uh, okay, so I am jumping on. I'm sitting on my deck. And obviously, you can hear Sister Bird, Brother Bird, the helicopters. Um, and I wanted to take a quick moment to address something that I am seeing on social media that I think gets in the way of our peacemaking. Um, specifically, you white people, when you're trying to post about what's going on, when you want to speak out and use your platform to speak to other people, something is happening and I, I just need you, I need you to know what's going on so that you can try to fix it. So I have been tagged on a lot of posts of people who are trying to communicate to their followers that they're paying attention or, and that they are impassioned and they're moved and they're grieved and they're angry and they, they are using their voices to speak up against racism. Beautiful, proud of you. Thank you for doing that. I am seeing something happen and this and this this is a remnant like th this is this is what white supremacy does. White peacemaker, you need to know this is everything is about you. As a white person, everything in this world is about you. You can go to the store and buy band-aids that match your skin tone. That's how much this world is about you, okay? When you are talking about racism and you are loaning your voice to the to to decry racism, to dismantle white supremacy, that's not about you. I have seen some posts that I've been tagged in in um, that a white person is talking about how grieved they are when they saw the video and how it reminded them of this trauma or how they've never thought about race and here's their whole history about race or or just they felt like an outsider all their life and now they understand how the black community feels about being an outsider okay that's not helpful that's all about you when i have to read two or three paragraphs of your memoir on instagram to get to you actually saying something about race that's not you being an ally. That's not you being a peacemaker against race, okay? Racism. What you need to do in these posts, white peacemakers, is one of three things. Maybe all three, but one. You need to say, I'm sorry. You need to get into the practice of lamenting and saying, this is wrong, I'm sorry. You need to say, I'm listening. This is a point where you tag the people you're listening to. This is a point where you cite their words. This is a point where you say what you're reading. This is a point where you can even say, I haven't been a great listener, but now I'm going to be a good listener. I'm learning. You need to say something you are learning specifically about racism, specifically about your unique capacity and calling to dismantle, dismantle white supremacy, okay? I don't need to know that your dog died and that broke your heart 
And so now you can understand how black people are feeling by watching someone die. That's a post I've been tagged on, okay? It's not about you, white people. I know it's so easy for you to make the narrative about you. What happens when, when you do that is you are asking everybody to pay attention to you and to be impassioned about you and your pain and what's going on inside of you. And these are your followers, so they already care about you. And then, oh, by the way, maybe I should think about race. No, the first thing that they need to know is I am here and I am here to talk about race. And I am here to tell you what you need to do about race. Your next steps can't be let's all think about a time that we were sad so that now we can understand how the black community is sad. That's not enough. That's not enough. You need to be helping your followers learn how to say, I'm sorry, I am listening, and I am learning. If you can cover those three bases in your posts, you are taking some major steps towards peacemaking. Sound good? I love you. I'm proud of you. I know you're trying. Just try a little harder, okay? I'm sorry. I'm listening. I'm learning. Try covering those three bases, okay? All right. I'll see you tomorrow, hopefully for breath prayers. Bye, friends. I love you. I'm sorry. I'm listening. I'm learning. Oshida invites us in our saying, I'm sorry, to create space for lament. And so I begin with, I'm sorry. And I'm going to share a prayer of lament written by Jarrell Williams who is the pastor at Salem Mennonite Church in Salem, Oregon. So in our conference, Pacific Northwest Mennonite Conference. Jarrell is a black man whose voice I amplify, whose lament I join and invite y'all to join with me. When will they listen, God? When will they hear the voices of the oppressed? When will the excuses end? God, we, your people, are now in pain and no one seems to care. They want to focus on what we do, but they do not want to acknowledge what they have done. They refuse to turn away from their sin. They have sullied the table. Their ignorance has taken the lives of George Floyd, Antoine Rose Jr., Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, Philando Castile, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland, and many more. God, we turn to you now in prayer for our black and brown siblings. Guide us, protect us with your mighty hand. God, we are so tired. Our spirits have become weary from the gaslighting, the justifying, the minimizing, and the silencing of our voices. God, let your spirit re-energize us. Let the fires of our rage never be quenched by the manipulative tears of our oppressors. Let the fires of our ancestors bring forth a new Pentecost, one that ignites the hearts of all humanity and calls us to learn a new language, the language of the oppressed, 
May the master's tools be broken. May our rage be louder than ever. May our outcry for justice disrupt and dismantle the systems of repression. God, we pray for your peace in our world, knowing the only way for it to come is by justice being done for your children. And all God's children join this lament and say, Amen. I'm sorry. I'm listening. Sister Oshida says that when we say we're listening, we need to reference, we need to give credit, we need to cite who we're listening to precisely. I'm listening to many, trying to, but today's theme is Anabaptists and Mennonites, so we're tenting with some black Anabaptist kindred. So I'm listening to Glenn Guyton, the executive director of our denomination, Mennonite Church USA, a black man whose voice I amplify and whose prophetic challenge I hear and invite you to hear with me. These are excerpts from a letter he wrote this week. Some of you may have seen it, but I know I need to read it over and over. It does not happen often, Glenn Guyton writes, but I am at a loss for words as cities across the United States burn and as I have endured several weeks of seeing black bodies sacrificed in the name of order and discipline. I am torn between being an enraged black man and being a leader in a predominantly white institution, united by theology and for many, a common ancestry. The most recent names that have shredded my heart are George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmed Arbery. I watched in horror as a woman named Amy Cooper walking her unleashed dog attempted to weaponize the police against Christian Cooper, who simply wanted to peacefully watch birds in Central Park. Christian Cooper, like me, is an African-American man. The language used on that call means that any black male, me or my son, could have fit the description, giving the responding officers a license to kill with the qualified immunity that withholds justice. If I'm honest, the Amy's of this world scary, scare me more than the white supremacist that I can easily identify and avoid. It has taken me some time to draft this letter because I've been torn by my anger, my fear, my Christian faith, and my Anabaptist commitment to peace. Systems of racial power would like nothing more than for leaders like me to lay my blackness and pain aside. They are part of what shapes my identity. But as a leader, I'm called to push down my fear and sadness. I need to call upon the people of Mennonite Church USA. Here we go. Our historic peace church needs to speak to the growing injustice in our country. Our historic peace church needs to speak to the increasing use of military force on civilians and the militarization of our police force. Continuing with Glenn. Along with thoughts and prayers, we need action. We need to be unified around who we are as transformative peacemakers, not our political ideologies. 
I am calling on all Mennonite Church USA congregations to have a time of prayer on Sunday, June 7, this morning, to lament the violence, pain, and injustice that is plaguing our country. I ask that you pray for compassionate and wise leadership for our country during this time. Our denominational leaders urge you to act now. I'm going to amplify this one extra, extra much. This is still Glenn Guyton, our executive director in this denomination. We need to engage in more costly peacemaking rooted in radical discipleship, which seeks to dismantle systems of oppression. The violence and unrest that is happening now is not an accident, Glenn writes. It is what the system is designed to do, and it jeopardizes all of us, not just people of color. Stand with the marginalized in your communities. If you have the power of privilege, use it as a shield to protect people of color who don't have it. Use your voice and your power to prompt action from local government officials. Create spaces for reconciliation, healing, and hope. I am determined not to allow the past and present circumstances of systemic oppression to make me feel powerless. For many in the white community, including our Mennonite family, my skin color is a barrier, Glenn writes. It is a consideration that I can't easily set aside. But for many of you in Mennonite Church USA, your race is not a barrier but rather an advantage you can use to dismantle racial injustice in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need your voice. I'm listening. I'm learning. And here, Sister Oshida says we need to be specific about what we're learning, what we're learning about racism, and what we're learning about our own unique capacity and calling in dismantling white supremacy. So with today's focus, I want to tell you one thing I'm learning about, and that is Mennonites and policing. Specifically, this week, I went looking for ancestors because I felt I needed them. I went looking for a movement within our faith tradition for police abolitionism. I went looking for ancestors who would encourage me and us in the call of this moment. I knew of our long history of Mennonites questioning whether a Mennonite could be a police officer and or whether Mennonites could ever with integrity call police officers. I remember these conversations happening as I was a child growing up in the Mennonite church and through college. And so I'm aware of these kinds of conversations. And the answers to both of those questions traditionally have been no. Mennonites can't be cops and they can't call the cops with some nuance to those uh, answers and some disagreement, of course. But generally speaking, no. And as those questions, as I've been reflecting on them, have been primarily individual morality questions that have more to do with preserving our own purity, whether or not we will engage in the dirty work of policing or allow someone else to do the dirty work of policing on our behalf. And it's connected to this two kingdom theology, which is part of our Mennonite history in which we see ourselves in, but not of the world. There's this whole separation thing that again has some purity stuff in it. Like the world does that terrible stuff, but we are separate from it and we don't. But it seems completely bananas to me that we wouldn't have a single ancestor to whom we could point 
that with our anti-military commitment to active nonviolence in the way of Jesus would have also said the police force is irredeemably violent, whether or not they would have included its inherent racism as part of that violence, just the guns. And therefore we should oppose it with the same vigor with which we oppose the military. I wanna tell you that I am learning, I could not find any of these ancestors in our tradition. So I reached out to a white Anabaptist mentor who's been doing anti-racism in the church for many decades, Rick Dirksen. He in turn reached out to another white Mennonite elder in anti-racism, um, Tobin Miller Shearer. I'm sure those names are familiar to many of you. And they both confirmed for me that while Mennonites have done good work on restorative justice, against the death penalty, for criminal justice reform, et cetera, and have engaged in academic debates around just policing, and I found some of that in my research this week, we do not appear, uh, we do not appear to have any historical Anabaptist witness to police abolition. What I do know Rick offered to me, and I asked his permission to quote him today, is that there are a growing number of Anabaptists like you and me and others who are committed to police abolition. And I'm still learning, like, like Pastor Amy said earlier, I'm still learning on this and I have a lot to learn on this one. Hopefully he writes the events following George Floyd's murder and the understanding that this is just the latest in a much longer history of state-sanctioned police violence will push others in the same direction. Let's do our part to make sure that future historians will at least be able to find witnesses from this time that worked for police abolition and prison abolition in alignment with our understanding of what it means to be Anabaptists today. So what am I learning about my unique capacity and calling in dismantling white supremacy? Again, lots. Um, but I am called by this moment to activate networks across Mennonite Church USA to follow the way of Jesus into police abolitionism. I'm doing that. I'm doing that this week. Actually, I started, I said it out loud uh, in an email a day or two ago, and a couple of pastors from San Francisco, Joanna Lawrence Shank and Sherry Hosteller, both replied and said, we're in on Mennonites and police abolition. So I'm already on the hook. So ask me next week what I've done. But that's what part of what my calling is right now, is to activate those networks right now in the moment when we have the energy um, so that we can encourage and affirm one another in our respective local organizing and supporting the local black indigenous POC leaders in our own local communities in that work. And so that maybe, whew, I am learning that I am called to become the ancestor that I wish I had. And I hope and pray that many of you will join me in that. I am learning. How are you lamenting? To whom are you listening? And what are you learning? May we, church, lament, listen, and learn together for all of our days to come. May it be so. Thank you, Megan. Oh, wait, can I just say real quick, I see Elizabeth even got to the conclusion before I did. Yes, we will be those ancestors.
I'm now seeing the chat box for the first time. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, go, Jonathan. <laughs> I'm happy to go, but I'm also happy to pause and breathe. Because <laughs> oh, everything that has already come into our, our circle of community today is prayer. And, uh, and offered in that spirit, and thank you. So let's continue. Holy Spirit, come with power, breathe into our weary and aching bodies and into the body of the church in this time as you tent with us and are present where we are, walking alongside one another for your justice and for your peace and your restoration to live in to the hope and the future that you long for and that you call us into burn away the old and clear the way for growth Holy Spirit, come in breath and fire to disturb and to heal us and hear the prayers of your people spoken. Again, we pray with PNMC Pastor Jarrell Williams, who calls us to turn in prayer for our black and brown siblings, that our outcry for justice would disrupt and dismantle the systems of oppression. And that, God, we are in prayer for your peace in our world, knowing that the only way for it to come is by justice being done for your children by your children. May our hearts and bodies be activated by the pain and the anger of our black kindred to be allies and comrades in seeking black liberation. For those seeking comfort and healing in our congregation, we pray that you would be with Amy Huntley, who lost her father this week. Be with her in her grief and console her. We thank you for the moments she was able to spend with him in the last days of his life and that he was able to return home from hospital to be with family and hold the hands of his children and his granddaughter, Idri. We pray also for Vern Willis today and his transfer to a rehab facility that his body might find a measure of healing and rest. Bring him comfort and ease in his time there. We pray for Caitlin, who was admitted to Swedish First Hill this week and who may need to stay there until the baby is born because of pre-eclampsia and pray for Caitlin's health and that of the little one in her womb. May the baby grow in health and strength as long as possible within Caitlin. And turning now to the chat. From Jennifer, prayers of lament for our denomination's loss of African-American theologian, Vincent Harding, 
when white leaders passed on the opportunity to be our ancestors of anti-racism activism at Dr. Harding's invitation. He assisted Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in composing his Riverside Church speech denouncing the Vietnam War. Forgive us for our non-listening. We are sorry. Spirit of God, holy breath and cleansing fire, breathe in us with sighs too deep for words. In the name of the living Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Um, you're seeing uh, probably an, our, our church logo because uh, my microphone and my computer is not working. So I'm speaking through my phone. You can pin my image, uh, my image that says Pastor Amy, if you need to see my face. Uh, we bless all of our offerings this week. Uh, in particular, I offer a blessing not on the monies that we give to our congregation, but in all the ways that we are giving to the movement for Black lives and liberation. Absolutely one of the ways that we are being called to exercise our privilege if we are white, and even if we are in other communities, as a, as a church, as Christians, we are called to use our money use our money for for actual liberation in supporting bail use our money in supporting black businesses use our money to support uh, black-led organizations use our money to support the families of those that have been lost there is no shortage of places where we can use our wealth for black liberation and i ask god that you bless all of these ways bless them and multiply them from our hands as we, as we use our money in support of Black lives. Our song of closing today, led by Michael, will be My Soul Cries Out. It is Mary's song, Calling on Liberation. My soul cries out with a joyful shout that the God of my heart is great. And my spirit sings of the wondrous things that you bring to the ones who wait. You fixed your sight on the servant's plight and my weakness you did not spurn. So from east to west shall my name be blessed when the world is about to turn. My heart shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near and the world is about to turn. Though I am small, my God, my all, you work great things in me. And your mercy will last from the depths of the past to the end of the age to be. 
your very name puts the proud to shame and for those who hold you with yearn you will show your might put the strong to flight for the world is about to turn my heart shall sing of the day you bring let the fires of your justice burn wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near and the world is about to turn from the halls of power to the fortress towers, not a stone will be left on stone. Let the king beware, for your justice tears every tyrant from his throne. The hungry poor shall weep no more, for the food they can never earn. There are tables spread, every mouth be fed, for the world is about to turn. My heart shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears, for the dawn draws near, and the world is about to turn. Though the nations rage, from age to age, we remember who holds us fast. God's mercy must deliver us from the conquering crushing grass. This saving word that our forebears heard is the promise which holds us bound. Till the spear and rod can be crushed by God who is turning the world around. My heart shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near and the world is about to turn. We call on you in this time and place, God, to turn the world around. May it be so. Receive this benediction. May we go from this place and into conversations with each other in lament. May we go listening to and amplifying Black voices. And may we go from this place in a spirit of learning about ourselves and about our kindred so that we can do justice and walk humbly with our God. Amen and amen. <laughs>